The Westminster Confession of Faith was first published in 1646. It was the result of the hard work done by a group of men called the Westminster Divines. Their goal was to outline what they believed the Scriptures principally taught. And it has been said that the Church of Christ cannot be creedless and live. Thankfully, the Westminster Confession of Faith has been the creed of the Reformed Church for almost 400 years. This podcast seeks to point you to Christ, to help you navigate the Westminster Confession of Faith, and to see you understand what you believe and why you believe it. Welcome to This We Confess. Westminster Confession of Faith, Chapter 23 of the Civil Magistrate, Paragraphs 1 and 2. God, the Supreme Lord and King of all the world, hath ordained civil magistrates to be under him, over the people, for his own glory and the public good, and to this end hath armed them with the power of the sword, for the defence and encouragement of them that are good, and for the punishment of of evildoers. Paragraph 2. It is lawful for Christians to accept and execute the office of a magistrate when called thereunto, in the managing whereof as they ought especially to maintain piety, justice and peace, according to the wholesome laws of each commonwealth. So for that end they may lawfully, now under the New Testament, wage war upon just and necessary occasion. Welcome to episode 67 of This We Confess, and today we get to a rather thorny subject, and that is government, politicians, Boris Johnston, and all like him. Chapter 23 of the Westminster Confession deals with the civil magistrate, and perhaps if there is anything that we love to talk about here in Northern Ireland, it is politics, our politicians, and our local government. Recently in our towns and villages and cities all across this land, we have seen posters and stickers going up warning that Ulster will not accept an Irish Sea border. Politics is front and centre of our lives and has been for an incredibly long period of time. But what's it all about? We talk about politicians, we complain and call them names, we promise that we will never vote for them again. What is the point of politicians? What is the point of the civil magistrate, as the Westminster Divines put it? As the first paragraph of this chapter opens, the Divines make it very, very clear that God is the supreme Lord and King of all the world. Ultimately, all authorities, all rulers, kings and queens, they look to the Lord. He is the King of the world and whether they recognise him or not, he is the ultimate and supreme ruler over all. However, this very same God has ordained civil magistrates to be under him. In other words, it is the will of God that we have governments and rulers and leaders in this world. They are under God. He is the supreme ruler, but it is his pleasure and his will to set up civil magistrates, governments underneath him. In the Church of Jesus Christ, we recognise a twofold system of government, two kingdoms, if you will. 
There is firstly the church that is governed with Christ as the head of the church and he has appointed elders within his local body. And then there is the other kingdom of the civil magistrate, the secular world. And it is in this second kingdom that the Lord has set up his civil magistrate. And they are to be under God and over the people. And it is for God's glory and for the public good that this is so. Perhaps we need to remember this the next time we are complaining about Arlene Foster and Michelle O'Neill. Our politicians endlessly frustrate us. We complain and shout and call them names. But ultimately there is no authority except that which God has ordained. Therefore we owe these men and women our respect and our prayers as we will see later in this chapter. And of course this idea comes from the scriptures. In Romans 13, Paul outlines exactly the civil magistrate. Let every person, he says, be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. The apostle is very, very clear that the Lord himself has put these civil authorities in place. Our God is not a God of chaos, but instead he is a God of order. And so it has pleased him to put these authorities in place, so that nations may be governed wisely, pointing to the glory of God and for the public good. It is to this end, say the Westminster Divines, that God himself has armed the civil magistrate with the power of the sword. What do we mean by the power of the sword? Well, it is up to the civil authorities to punish evildoers. It is up to the civil authorities to decide when a country goes to war and how and when a country defends itself. The civil magistrate has the power within it to punish those who do evil, perhaps by sending them to prison or indeed by taking their lives. The Lord has given the civil magistrates this power. He has given them the power of the sword. Paul says this again in Romans 13. In verse 3 he says, For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. The civil magistrates over us, our government, carry the power of the sword. And it is for the defence and encouragement, say the divines, of them that are good and for the punishment of evildoers. Now we know straight away that in this world, not all civil magistrates work this way. Some civil magistrates forget that they have received their authority from God himself. They act and work without him. They do not look on to him. And it is the civil magistrate, the ruling authorities, who make decisions that are not God-honouring. And indeed, some men have taken on far too much power, and we have seen power abused in the form of dictators and despots throughout this world. Ultimately, all of these individuals will be judged for the abuses that they have used this power for. However, God's plan, God's will, was that civil magistrates would be set up to encourage and defend the good, and to punish the evil. We can be thankful that in this country, whilst there are many things wrong with our civil authorities, and much reform is needed and required, 
that we are in a very, very stable country. We have peaceful handovers of power. We have relatively stable and good and wise government. Again, there are many issues and many blights and stains on this land. However, we can be thankful to God today for the civil magistrate and how it exercises its power in the United Kingdom. And it is good and pleasing to the Lord when we are subject to every human institution. The Apostle Peter would write in his first letter, chapter 2, verses 13 to 14, that we are to be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. And so the Christian honours God every single day when we drive according to the speed limit. The Christian honours God every single day when we pay taxes and render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. The Christian honours God when, for his sake, we are subject to every human institution. Now, of course, that has its limits, and the Christian is not always bound to do what the civil magistrate says, and we will discuss that again in a later episode. But where the civil magistrate does not intrude upon the kingdom of God, that is, the church, that is, a separate kingdom, the Christian will honour God by being subject to every human institution. For, as Peter echoes Paul, these civil magistrates have been sent to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For the Lord's sake, the Christian is called in the secular world, the secular kingdom, to do good and to honour and to be subject to every human institution. And so as Reformed Christians, we recognise two kingdoms. We recognise the kingdom of God, that is the church here on the earth, and we recognise the secular kingdom in which the civil magistrate has been placed for God's glory and the public good. The civil magistrate has no business and no authority telling the church what to do. Boris Johnston should not ever decree that the church should only preach a certain thing. The secular kingdom and the kingdom of God must remain separate. However, in paragraph 2 of this chapter, the Westminster Divines state that it is lawful for Christians to accept and execute the office of a magistrate when called thereunto. We have seen here in Northern Ireland in many times and in many ways men who profess faith in Christ also taking the job of an MP. We have seen the Reverend Martin Smith and the Reverend Dr Ian Paisley doing this very thing. Indeed, we can be thankful that in Stormont at the minute there are many who profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. These men and women who are Christians are doing absolutely nothing wrong by taking on the role of a civil magistrate in the secular kingdom. Again, we return to Romans chapter 13. Paul reminds us there in verse 4 that the civil magistrate, the politician, is God's servant for your good. So how could it be wrong, therefore, when a Christian takes on this responsibility? A Christian is God's servant, and a Christian can be rightly called and serve as a civil magistrate. Christians are not called, therefore, to buy a barn in a field and to live to it and to shun all contact with the outside world. But indeed, Christians can play a full part in the secular world for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Indeed, the Westminster Divines tell us that if a Christian is called to such a job, they are to manage it well, and they are to maintain piety, that is, reverence for God. They are to maintain justice, and they are to maintain peace, according to the wholesome laws of each commonwealth. Or in other words, they are to take the laws of the land seriously, and to do their best to uphold them. Now, straight away, we can see difficulty here. We live in a land where abortion is legal and it is considered something very, very good. I do not envy Christians who work in the civil magistrate when it comes to issues like this, issues that are clearly against the word of God. In such instances, Christians in the civil magistrate have real difficulties carrying out their responsibilities. However, where possible, they are to strive and to work well to maintain the reverence of God, justice in the land, peace and law-keeping. Christians are not revolutionaries. Christians should not be those who are always causing trouble in the land. But instead, for the sake of the Lord and for the sake of each other, we must always be seeking and striving for peace, not least when we are involved with the civil magistrate. The Lord gives a warning to the civil magistrate in Psalm 2 and verse 10. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. And then in Psalm 82 and verses 3 to 4, Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. Here is the manifesto of the Christian in the civil magistrate. And indeed, this should be the manifesto of Boris Johnston and Joe Biden and anyone who has taken on the authority that God has given them. They should seek to promote piety, justice, peace and to maintain the laws of the land in which they are in. Here is the responsibility of the civil magistrate And here is the responsibility of the Christian who involves him or herself in such a rule. And in response to the Christian civil magistrate, or indeed the pagan civil magistrate, we are to be much in prayer. Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 2 and verse 2, and he wants us to pray for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. And Paul would echo this later in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, where he says in verse 11 that we are to aspire to live quietly, to mind our own affairs, and to work with our hands. And so as believers, whilst trouble and turmoil can often come, we are to aspire to have a quiet and peaceful life. And the civil magistrate has a mighty role to play in that. And so we should be much in prayer for those who the Lord has placed over us. And why is prayer so necessary for the civil magistrate? Well, on a daily basis, the good of the nation is at stake. The peace and the harmony of the country is on the table. But also there will be times that the civil magistrate must decide whether to wage war or not. As this paragraph continues and indeed closes, the divines state that it is now lawful under the New Testament for the civil magistrate to wage war upon just and necessary occasion. In the Old Testament, the people of God waged war at God's command. However, in the New Testament, the people of God are scattered throughout the nations, 
And we no longer have the right to declare war. We no longer are used by God to act as his instruments of divine justice. However, there are still countries today, there's still a civil magistrate, and it is still good and proper at times for them to wage war on a just and necessary occasion. I think those two words are very, very important. A just and necessary occasion. We should not desire to have someone in power who is a warmonger. We should not seek someone who is always wanting to bomb and to threaten and to kill in the name of our nation, which is supposedly the greatest nation on the earth. We should withdraw ourselves from any politicians who seek to sell us such thinking. But there are occasions when war is necessary. And whilst our nation does everything it can to avoid it, there are some moments where it is forced to stand up. Of course, in recent history, the greatest example of that is in World War II. From 1939 to 1945, our nation, allied with many other nations throughout the world, stood against and fought against Nazi Germany. The Nazi regime was a repugnant one, and indeed they were always going to force the world into conflict. I firmly believe this was a just and necessary war. However, in recent years, wars have been fought for other reasons, and I would humbly suggest that it is not just and necessary for a country to go to war over oil. It is not just and necessary for a country to go to war under the banner of regime change. It is not just and necessary for countries to be looking for a fight and spoiling for trouble so that they can promote the interests of rich businesses. If a war is to take place and it is to be declared by the civil magistrate, they should take it incredibly seriously and satisfy themselves that it is a just and necessary occasion. Throughout the scriptures we meet various soldiers and they are not told to lay down their arms. They are not disbanded. We see in Luke 3 and verse 14, John the Baptist tells the soldiers, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation and be content with your wages. But he does not speak about just and necessary wars. He does not tell armies to disband and never fight again. In Matthew 8 and verse 9 to 10, the Lord Jesus Christ meets a centurion who says to Jesus, I too am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another one, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. And then in Acts 10 and verses 1 to 2, at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household and gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. And so throughout the New Testament, we meet soldiers, we meet men who are involved in the act of war, and yet they are not condemned for that, but we discover that they are often men of faith. The scriptures, I believe, are clear that sometimes a just and necessary war can take place on certain occasions. It is no wonder that we are to take the civil magistrate seriously. Within the civil magistrate, there is much God-ordained power, and it is for his glory and for the public good. 
And so brothers and sisters, let us take this teaching seriously today and let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. And brothers and sisters, to this we say, Thank God today for the civil magistrate. As always today, here are some questions for you to consider. Question 1. Ultimately, where do all governments, powers and authorities derive that authority? Question 2. What do we mean when we say that God has armed the civil magistrate with the power of the sword. Question 3. What do you understand when we speak of two kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man? Question 4. Is it right in the sight of God when a Christian takes a role within the civil magistrate? Give a reason for your answer. And question five. War is always awful, an absolute blight, and should be avoided at all costs. However, on what occasion is war acceptable in the sight of Almighty God? That's all for today. As always, my name is Scott Woodburn, and until next time, this we confess.